0: Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. Well, this edition, we're talking Union College Hockey, Uh, Later on, we'll have interviews with Union Men's Head Coach Rick Bennett, Union Women's Head Coach Josh Skiba, and Junior Defenseman Megan Ryan. Union Hockey Beat writer Mike McGann joins me now. Mike, uh, hello, and uh, it was a very interesting weekend at Mesa Rink uh, last weekend as uh, the Central New York teams Cornell and Colgate came to town. We saw similar results: uh, tie against Cornell and loss against Colgate. Yeah, kind of bananas
1: like parallel universes between the Union Men's and Women's Hockey programs. Um, you know, Colgate loss, I, I think on the women's side, it was a little more understandable because they're pretty good. The Colgate women are pretty good. Um, but the Cornell tie, yeah, it's a tie. It's not a win. But I mean, really kind of a breakthrough performance a little bit for both programs. Um, one thing I'll say about Rick Bennett, um, uh, after the Cornell game, you could tell he, he didn't use the word proud. And he, he has used that word in the past after certain games. He didn't use it. This time, but you could just read it in his voice. He was really, you know, really kind of swelling with pride that they're finally getting it. They're finally doing the things uh, that the coaches are asking them to do. And they did it against one of the best teams. Well, technically the best team in the country right now, based on the rankings that came out this week, uh, Cornell number one in the country. So, um, you know, after after the rough start 0-7 and and they, they've been kind of waiting for these freshmen to to figure it out a little bit. And, and that was a clear indication that, that we're starting to see a little bit of that. And
0: that was coming off of really a strange loss to Colgate where yeah. 3-2, where they're up 2 nothing first, play, play great, and then they you know, basically take their foot off the pedal. And Rick uh, mentioned that on Wednesday. This is Wednesday media availability. We'll talk about that a little bit in a little bit. And then the strange ending uh, with the penalty shot after the net came off its mornings in the final uh, Uh, just over a minute left in the game.
1: Yeah, from a fan standpoint, if you're a Union fan, I understand and empathize um, if you feel like they got hosed at the end of that game and maybe to some degree, maybe they did a little bit just based on the fact that, you know, it's a judgment call by the refs, whether Taylor Taylor Brierley, I'll I'll describe the the play quickly. Um, It was a scrambly play in the final minutes of the third period. It was was 2-2. Uh, Colgate was all over the union net good scoring chances they took one shot that Hanson saved kicked out to his left into the circle Colgate got another one-timer blast and two union defensemen in tandem slid over to block it Ryan Sidorsky was the first line of defense and he caught it with like in his side or something like that so he successfully blocked the shot puck kind of trickled away meanwhile Taylor Brierley took a different approach he went feet first Now he don't go feet first, kind of in a sliding goalie motion, like he was going to make a kick save or something, but his skates caught the post and knocked it off by a couple feet. And the refs looked at it and talked about it for several minutes and decided that he did it intentionally. Uh, That was like a one, whatever left inside of two minutes. They gave Don Vaughn the choice of a a penalty shot or two minute penalty, which would have extended into the overtime if nobody, if they didn't score nobody won the game. He picked the penalty shot Bobby McMahon with his, their captain happened to be on the ice at the time. So he got the nod, made a great move on Hanson scored over his, um, his, uh, stick side. I guess it would have been his, his, uh, right shoulder. And, uh um, they win 3 2. Um, they pulled Hanson with like 50 seconds left. They couldn't really get it, the, and they couldn't tie it. So, I mean, it was a weird way to end because of the timing and because of the, the call. And, you know, the official scorekeepers gave the penalty to, to Ryan Sidorsky. I don't know why, because it was pretty clear that if anybody did anything, it was Brierly. He's the one that kicked the post off. Um, but as Rick said afterwards, going back to what I said about Union fans being miffed, I mean, they should have really never been in the. That position in the first place, based on the way they played the first period, which was very good, and then they came out with a two-zero lead in the second period and acted like the game was over, and so they kind of put themselves in that position. And you can't really, the circumstances certainly made it look like you want to call it controversial or whatever. But the bottom line is, they should have never been in that place. That and this team, this
0: team really can't be doing that because this team no. not doesn't have a winning record. They 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 can't get cocky. And we
1: that theme, you know. It, like since the beginning of the season and even when they started to turn the corner a little bit that they can't take anybody lightly or assume anything or get comfortable or rest on any kind of whatever laurels, whether it's one game or one period. And, and, you know, you preach that to the end of the world um, and it's easier said than done. So it's, you know, it's a long 30 plus season and you're not going to be consistent from, but in that case really they put themselves in a position to win and they really just kind of, you know, let it go down the sewer, just in the way that they played. So you can't really pinpoint that one play at the
0: end Yeah, of the I asked Rick about that at the uh, media availability on Wednesday. You'll hear that, that uh, comment. Because, I mean, to me, uh, I don't understand why teams in this day and age, they get up two, th- three goals or, you know, football, they get up to a th- big lead, and then they seem to let up, and then the other team comes back, and it just doesn't make any sense. Why not just keep – Going at it. I, I don't understand why teams just I don't know put if that's necessarily
1: a trend these days any more than it ever was. It'd be interesting to explore the psychology behind that a little bit. But um in this team's case, a two-o lead after one must seem like eight-o to what <laughs> <laughs> based on how much they score and how many games they've won this year. So I guess they maybe they got big eyes and and certainly they played like. So Colgate came out blasting in the start of the set. Credit to them, too, for taking advantage of a team that looked like they might have been getting a little complacent. Um, you know, Colgate's not a fun, easy team to play against, as Rick said before the game, and uh, they showed why. I mean, they didn't act like a team that was down 2-0. They acted like a team that was trying to win.
0: Well, Union right now is in a home ice position for the first round of playoffs, in eighth place with nine points, a point ahead of Yale, two ahead of Brown, the teams they play this weekend. Uh, starting Friday night at Yale, uh, they lost. Uh, were shut out by Yale when, uh, back in December. I mean, yeah, the fact that you know, they played so well against Cornell, they got to carry that momentum over.
1: You would have to, and it's like Rick cited a Herb Brooks uh, quote saying, "You show me you can do it. Now I'm going to. Here's the bad news. Now I'm going to expect it of you." And that's not an unreasonable thing for a coach to to expect that, especially the way they played. They need to use that Cornell game. Don't, like, sit on it and rest on it and think that everything is solved, but use it as a reference point. Look at the things you did well in that game and try to bottle that and transfer that to other games. Now, this is a kind of – you hate to overstate how big of a weekend it is, and it really – you know, in the grand scheme of things, maybe it isn't. But really, positionally, these are two teams that are right in Union's wheelhouse fighting for the same scrap of ground at their spot in the standings, and really they could put themselves in a – you know, not solidify anything, but really kind of, you know, put a whack on two teams that are like really kind of nipping at their heels. Now, um, you know, Yale and Brown still have the advantage of two hands in game uh, in hand. So two games in hand, so um, they, they, they all have two hands in a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was beautiful. Nice saying. God. Yeah, that really was beautiful. Um, so they have to take that into consideration too. So it's really, really important. This is the last time they're going to see these two teams. It's last time they're going to have a first direct you know, ability to do something about how they stand against each other. I mean, it,
0: I mean, also, in fact, you look at the standings. they're only four points out of the uh, first round bye with Colgate, Harvard, and RPI. You know, granted, again, Colgate and Harvard have two games in hand on on uh, Union and uh, three on RPI. But, I mean, it, suddenly, I mean, the way this we said, 0-7 starting, you think it's, it's going to be an awful season. They're right in this. Somewhat. Okay, let's not get too Somewhat. crazy.
1: Somewhat. Let's not get too crazy. I'm going to be the <laughs> voice of reason here. I will say that since that 0-7 start, I mean, they're basically a 500 team. And if they can continue that or improve on it, which I believe they will based on the Cornell game, again, not trying to lean too much on that one singular game, but I mean, they should have a lot of indications, not only what they did, but at the time of year that they did it, which is a strong indication that these young players are starting to get it. And I mean, they're going to be kind of a fun team to watch uh, between now and the end of the regular season. I don't know where they're going to finish, but um you know, I'd be surprised if they didn't keep getting a little bit better as opposed to going in the other direction.
0: Let's look at the women's side. This is a team, and, of course, the women's league, only the top eight make the playoffs. Right. Uh, Union in their long Division One history uh, since the early 2000s have never made the playoffs. Really, maybe have had one sniff at it. Well, you know, this year right now, they're just a point out of that final spot. They're you know, seven points right now tied with Dartmouth, a point behind uh, St. Lawrence for that eighth spot. Those two teams will play – on a Tuesday night, late later this month, uh, makeup game from again that was canceled in November. I mean, the fact that they came out of a one-one tie against the fourth-ranked Big Red was a, a big. I mean, yeah, they lost the Colgate's on the Saturday, but the fact that they t- held the Big Red in check uh, was just an amazing performance. And it's and looking at their Union women's schedule right now, I mean, they got they host Brown and Yale this weekend. Uh, Brown on Friday, Yale on Saturday. They play RPI twice. Uh, they have to include the game at the mayor's cup times union center. And they got St. Lawrence, these five games could define and make union season and put them in position, uh, to make the playoffs. I think they got to win them all.
1: I don't know if they have to win them all, but, um, you're, you're certainly right about, um, from a scheduling and positioning standpoint, you know, it, at least it's in front of them. If they beat these teams, you know, they, and these are beatable teams for them, um, you know, again, they, they kind of fall in the same category of, uh, you know, there's, there's several, like, including, especially St. Lawrence has a couple games in hand. So there, there might be a little more potential, you know, for them to get points. They might be a little trickier to, 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 get past, but at least they're playing them and they, they have a direct, you know, uh, role in, in what happens between, you know, from a positioning standpoint, um, two games against RPI, haven't won a game all year in 23 and they only have one tie. Um, Going back to the Cornell game a little bit, I mean, Bella McKee, the goalie, gets a lot of credit for 30-whatever saves she had. 33, I think it was, and and Union didn't really generate a lot of shots, which is their M.O., but they figured out a way to get a point against a very good team. So, um, yeah, like we said, parallel universe is kind of similar things going on a little bit.
0: Because you look at their February schedule, they're only going to be home one weekend, the 14th and 15th, Dartmouth and Harvard. You know, Dartmouth, the team that they should have beaten up uh, up there in January fourth, they had a three 0 lead in that game, ended up with a three three tie. But you look at it, Quinnipiac's gotten better since uh, Union beat mm-hmm. them back in November. Princeton's the uh, second tied for first with Harvard. Uh, I mean, Harvard comes in on the fifteenth, uh, and they have to go to Corgate and Cornell to close out the season. So it, it's they if they want to make the playoffs, or get put them themselves in a the position, they got it. They, they got to get these games. Get on
1: their horse right now, certainly, because this. They can look at the schedule and say, "Well, this is fertile ground for us to get some points." So they really need to kind of get on their horses. If it means that much to them to make the playoffs, this this is the time to start really thinking about it. Well, coming up, Union men's head coach Rick Bennett met the media on Wednesday. I well, actually just met you and I. I think it was nobody else showed up. I've been over there. Let's see. I've done Union uh, uh, related uh, work three times, three days in a row. And and uh, <laughs> if they were home. It would have been five. But uh, so yeah, we're we're. Um, We've been all over Messer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have what he said in just a moment. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox.
2: Hi, this is Byron Hunter, the world champion, New York Giants. You're listening to the Parting Shots
0: podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor, Ken Shot. Back on the Punning Shots podcast, along with Mike Gannum, I'm Ken Schott. Union Men's head coach Rick Bennett had his weekly media availability on Wednesday. He spoke on a variety of topics, including the new Dallas Cowboys head coach. Well, it's uh, this weekend coming up, uh, Yale Brown. You come off the, the tie with Cornell. I mean, how much momentum can you build off of that tie?
2: Well, we're trying to build off it uh, this week through, through practice, off that. Uh, tie um, you know it's such a fine line you just want to find that think we talked about it after the game the believability um, seeing that uh, through practice and I think if that continues then hopefully it's some good good results this weekend but it's not just going to happen as you know
1: You said afterwards um, you, you referred to the old Herb Brooks line and first of all can you just give, give a little background on your connection to Herb back in the day and why he's constantly a um, sort of a theme maker for you and things that you do, but also um, when you, if you tell your team that, how do you expect them to react to it?
2: Well, the connection, well, first, why I like him so is the fact that uh, the character of the man, um, he, you know, I, I had a chance, I, I came up when he was a coach and I was a player, so we had some Interactions, even though as against his teams, um, we had a chance to talk. And then, as a scout, he had drafted um, one of our players uh, that we worked with. His name was Bobby Gepford when he was with Pittsburgh. So we stopped by the rink after a game at, at Providence, and I asked him, "Hey, do you mind coming down and talking to the staff?" Um, at the time, Paul Pouli and David Burhardt, who's now the head coach at Holy Cross and the associate coach at Notre Dame. And he talked to us for like an hour and a half. Oh. So right then and there, I mean, it's just a phenomenal guy, and he was great. Like, he, he held the room for an hour and a half of, of just pure hockey talk. And he's just a good guy. And then another episode when we were in St. Cloud when I was with Providence and uh, we were up in the stands, uh, we sat next to each other, and we were talking, and he slid over a, uh, a sheet about uh, a recruit. And, um, and I hate to say that it didn't follow up, because <laughs> uh, I didn't think it that he was, you know, at the time, a top a top player. He eventually went on to play, but, you know, wasn't a top top six guy, which we, we needed at that time. But I really appreciated him sliding that piece of paper across. I think I even kept it somewhere. But, uh, a yeah, a keepsake soul. But he was just a – and I think he's arg- – people argue with me, but I think it was one of – what he did with that 1980 Olympic team is the single best coaching job of of any job in professional sports or olympics or anything even
0: more so than yours you won the national championship
2: uh, yeah, oh yeah <laughs> yeah and then some so i wouldn't even that's not even on the radar Ken. <laughs> you didn't
1: work with him in a clinic or something like that it's to my bad memory it seems to be there so okay, no
2: Just not that I, sure. no. No. I know no i know i've had a few concussions but no
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm due for one yeah. um but back to the quote that you
2: threw at your team, sure. um, you know, how do you expect them to, to uh, embrace that or, or respond to it, I guess? I mean, we don't know until we, until we strap it on and, and get playing on Friday night. Like I'm, I'm just as curious as, as the next guy. Um, I, our coaching staff has a say in this and that's what we're trying to do and hold everyone accountable through our practice. So they are ready to go for, for Friday night, and that's, that's what we're doing.
0: Why do you think, not specifically your team, but it just seems in hockey, when teams get up 2 3 nothing early in a the game, yeah. they seem to let up, and then it's all of a sudden now, you know, let's see how the other team get in, we're seeing you know, close. What, what happened to the killer instinct? Because, you know, back yeah. when you and I were up your teams got up big, they, they put their pedal to the metal
2: mentality, mentality, I, I I think we've lost, uh, you know, a little bit, again, it's just a humble opinion, but I think we've lost a little bit of that edge at times, um, that those players before had and and, and had to go through growing up, playing on the ponds when it was freezing and taking one off the shins and, you know, the older kids picking on you or whatever it was, It, 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 you hardened up and, I think on the ponds, if you were up by ten, you wanted to get eleven. You didn't want to give him a goal. You wanted to beat him by not ten zip, but eleven zip. And I, 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 there was something about the pond hockey that I think is lost, and I really feel for for today's era that they don't have that.
0: See, in, in any sport, I mean, you know, people complain about running out the score. Well, my, my thought is, if you're you can't stop them, why are you complaining?
2: Again, that, that, that always goes back to a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame that you appreciate is, is uh, Jimmy Johnson. And he would take a lot of grief for running the score up, and that was his philosophy. You can't stop it. Is, is it my fault? And then there's other trains of thought where, personally, if if we were up 5-zip in a game and there's five minutes left, are we going to put the number one power player number two? No, we're not. No, we're not. I think, I think you have to have some... Code, code of conduct there uh, unless it was done to us from, from that particular team
1: Somebody asked Jimmy Johnson about that I think it was last year I was reading a story and he said well my point of reference on that is we were up like five touchdowns on somebody this is when he was coaching Miami early on right. and they wound up getting bombed in the second half and wound up losing a game that they had no business there's
2: always a reason like, I, I don't know what the reason was when he played that team before there was a big rivalry or something. So, yeah, you know, only he can answer those questions.
1: I talked to Gabriel Seeger yesterday, and I'd asked you about him earlier in the season. You said he reminded you of Sebastian, and, and one similarity was that when they, he first got here, skating was something that he, Sebastian needed to work on, and it's a very similar thing with Gabriel. Since we talked about that whatever month and a half, two months ago, have you seen progress on that front with
2: him? Yeah, he's made the effort to work on his power skating after practice along with you know, a few of our other guys after our, uh, um, our one-on-one meetings, which is really nice to see because um, in the second half it gets ramped up. Um, the hockey's not getting slower, so you got to adapt with it, and that's our message, and you try to get that through practice by the pace of practice. And, But more importantly, those guys working on areas of their game in the skating department after practices or a skill session.
1: Besides size, uh, what does he bring to the table that, that you guys like as a player?
2: Uh, he's very smart. Um, that, that, to me, just jumps off the table. Um, really, um, and puck protection to keep plays alive in the ozone play. Because he's, he's just so smart and, and, and he can puck protect. He shields that puck. He's, he's pretty good as a freshman. I'm going to like to see him as a senior. And we want, you know, he almost won like a, a Yarmir Yager look to him um, by his senior year where that puck is his and his alone. And I think he's starting to develop that now. And I just think he's still trying to figure out the game, uh, this, this, this college game. And once he does, and he can slow it down a little bit too to his pace reminds me a little bit of Kelly's Ajax Kelly's Ajax when he first got here was one smart hockey player one of the smartest hockey players we've got a chance to work with and it took him at least it took him a year plus to figure out the game to slow it down to his pace and not many players have that ability and Kelly's Ajax did and i think Gabriel Seeger has the same ability to do that as well
1: he's been consistently paired with Rinaldi pretty much the whole season what do you like about that guy was big and right. fast guy with a good
2: shot. Well, we would like the fact that Anthony Rinaldi and Christian Sanda pushed the pace for him. So you got to keep up. You don't, you don't have a choice. He said that yesterday. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't have a choice. <laughs> right. So it, it, and in turn, you get faster. Um, and, I, you know, you, as a staff and a personal thing, you, you learn that when, when you play with a fast guy. So, um, And then the second thing we like is the fact that he can make plays to those guys. So it's a give and take on that line and that's what we like about it.
1: This is it the goal against Cornell kind of an illustration of a give and take where Anthony kind of patiently and yeah. Gabriel equally patiently getting his position in front? Yeah, that the, it, the other guy to make the play.
2: It, Yeah, that was a tremendous poise, poise play. It was a poise versus panic. And Anthony made a tremendous play and you know, Gabe had the, the hands to to put it in. And he also kept his feet around the net when it was really chaotic. So in order to get a pack of Wolf's goal, you've got to be able to keep your feet. And that's what he did. you
0: had a chance to talk to the league about the penalty shot there Friday night?
2: I haven't, I haven't talked to the league. I haven't talked to the director of officials. I'm not going to. Uh, we know the rule. And we moved on. And that's the best thing that, that we could, di- uh, could do. That's what we did. And I think it helped us by not dwelling on it for the next night. It, Ferris being back in there. Well, he's back today for the first practice, so, but that's, you know, that's give or take for this weekend. He's doing
1: everything at practice, or is he? Got yes, the red jersey,
2: or... yes, yes. But that, he's questionable right. for for this weekend. But and you happy to at least make that stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm oh yeah, tremendously. I mean, I really liked that line when it was going. I thought Chaz Smezru did a, did a nice job there but with Owen Ferris there it's a big heavy line um, and it can wear on teams top top lines which, which which they were doing so hopefully when Owen gets back that we can put that line back together and just try to get the same same results.
1: Are you still examining the positioning of Voss whether he's front or front line or back line I know he played started at D against Colgate on Friday and any coincidence, but he, or he was forward line Friday sure. and D on Saturday. See,
2: Mike, you can't even ask the question because you're so confused. <laughs> <laughs> you got me around, you got me in a pretzel here. With this guy. So, And that's where we're going to keep it, so I can confuse you and right. I can't confuse Ken. Not hard to do. I can't. I'm yep, already
1: confused.
2: I'm the same way and I'm I'm coaching. So, no, it's going to be one of those whatever we need him He's going to be a Swiss Army Knife, similar to what uh, Ryan Walker was different, and he played three different forward positions right. where Vos can, he can play anywhere. I know we think he mentioned goaltender, but that's not happening. Yeah, so,
1: well, we, yeah I left that part on it. Yeah, that's I I, said, thank well, you. Well, that's not happening anytime said, the guy we got.
2: Yeah, that's not, that's not happening.
1: Final question, Mike
0: McCarthy, what
2: do you think? I think it's a, I think it's a great hire. I think that's what that room needed. Uh, I do think Jason, I will say this, I think Jason Garrett is a phenomenal person. I really do. But it's funny how you you talked about the, the new, uh, what are the kids today about not losing a, the three and two goal leads. I think it's just like that in coaching. Um, I, another coach just got it today, I believe, in the NHL. <laughs> George one I mean,
0: it's, yeah, it's
2: crazy. One of, the nicest, one of the nicest guys in the world, a player's coach. And you see these guys getting revolved quickly. And then they'll bring in a guy that's a little bit tougher. Uh, well, he's too tough on the guy, so let's bring in uh, a player's coach. Hey, it's, it's, it, I its don't know. This this profession is nuts. But I do think that Mike McCarthy brings an element um, to, to that team.
0: Well, Rick Bennett certainly loves his Dallas Cowboys and uh, <laughs> enjoys talking about
1: them. Well, I didn't bring up the fact that I – personally hate the Dallas <laughs> Cowboys. I mean you probably hate them more than yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. But, but i have keep a smooth uh, format during these interview <laughs> sessions. So let him talk about Mike McCarthy and we'll we'll just let him have his piece.
0: Yeah you mentioned about Seeger and your questioning with uh, him you uh, your writing story in Friday's paper it'll be online also at dailygazette.com. Uh, what, what is it about Seeger that you like about him?
1: Uh, there's a bunch of things I would say and I had you know the first time I actually got to interview him was on Tuesday. Size is you know is the no-brainer. He's six foot four. He's a legit six foot four. Um the way uh, Rick Bennett paired him with Christian Sanda and Anthony Rinaldi, who are not only the two fastest kids on the team, they're two of the faster kids in the whole conference, really forced him to address what might be one of his limitations on the ice, which is his skating speed. And and as Seeger said, he, you know, he said, I think my full speed, I'm okay, but it's like the first couple. First three strides that I needed to work on, which he has been doing like once or twice a week with like post-practice speed drills and stuff like that and and corner cutting and things like that. Um, but really, the thing you like about him the best and is something that Rinaldi mentioned is he just has such great hockey sense and smarts and brains for the game, um, which makes him perfect for to, to pair with sanda and Rinaldi because he can kind of be the quarterback and figure out who's gonna get the long diagonal pass. And then when they get in the zone, he's a tremendous puck possession person between his size and his reach and his every and everything and his hands and his feet. Um, you know, Rick said he could have like kind of a um Yarm or yoghurt by the time he's a senior component, you know, obviously not skill level, but certainly in the way he plays and he's able to shield the puck away from defenders and buy time to to figure out where he wants to go with it and make a decision. Uh, he also compared him to, to uh, favorably to Kelly's Ajax yep. from a from a hockey smart cent, uh, standpoint. You know, Rick said he's one of the smartest players he's ever come across and 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 Seeger reminds him a lot of of uh, Kelly's Ajax in that aspect.
0: I'll leave out the Seeger and the sort of bullet uh Conversing. No, I'll let
1: you you know, like, like <laughs> make a goof out of yourself as as, in any way you you choose to. That's, I mean. <laughs> That's well, not a appropriate. <laughs> That's not a problem for me. I mean, you have to get I'm, I'm, a song reference into every podcast.
0: I'm not making yeah. i going to make any night moves or anything like that. So anyway, uh, coming up, we well, have interviews. <laughs> Uh, No, Moving On is a Bad Company song. Anyway, coming up, we'll have interviews with Union Women's Head Coach Josh Skiba and junior defenseman Megan Ryan. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox.
2: This is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Now, here's Ken.
0: Back on the Parting Shots podcast, and as we mentioned earlier in the uh, show, this is a critical stretch of games for the Union Dutch women. They have a shot at making the ECAC hockey playoffs for the first time at the Division I level. We have some sound from junior defenseman Megan Ryan. Critical stretch for you uh, coming up for this team if you want to make the playoffs. I mean, you guys got some winnable games coming up. How point is to you know, get these wins uh, heading into February and down the stretch?
3: Yeah, um, they're very important. Um, we're just focusing on our little details and everything and trying to fix up any rough edges and kind of just take that next step in our program to solidify those wins.
1: A little deja vu, asking someone from Union about a tie against Cornell last weekend. Can you just walk us through a little bit about how big that game was for you? Yeah, and what it, what it, meant?
3: it felt great. Um, we needed everyone. Everyone did uh, their jobs for the most part. Um, we had some big saves. We had a big goal. Um, kind of, we we're just really proud of our group, especially after getting scored on as well. Just like not taking a step back, which we've seen in the past. So I think that was a big step for our group
1: making the playoffs is that like a daily theme or is it something you try to like remove because you're trying to concentrate on the moment and today's practice or game or shift or
3: whatever um I think it's definitely something that's in the back of our head but we always have like the little goals that we want to keep achieving on like the bigger picture two playoffs so I think it's definitely something that's present in our minds but we also have these little goals that we want to achieve along the way
0: oh, Of course, it's it to keep yeah. it you know, not looking ahead and say, oh, we got this. We just look like a winnable game. This looks like a winnable game. How important is just to focus on the, the one game you have uh, starting Friday night?
3: Yeah, I think that's a big um, step and improvement for our team, just like not even focusing on who we're playing and just taking one game at a time and um, focusing on ourselves a lot. We've been doing a better job this year, which has helped us, and just kind of taking that step into not even worrying about who we're playing and just. Um, kind of taking care of our own jobs and seeing where we go and how much we've progressed.
2: Anything
1: specific you remember from the last time you guys played these two teams and it was kind of over weird weekend,
3: 5-0 shutout and 4-1 the next night? Right. um, I think that we definitely didn't play our best against Yale and that they haven't seen our best. So I think we've grown and matured a lot since that. Um, So I'm expecting that that's going to be a better game. And also against Brown, we usually – we usually play all right against them, and I think we also have focused a lot on, like, our entries and stuff, which are going to be very effective for this weekend, so. Right. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Up next is Union Women's Heads Coach Josh Skiba. Uh, Josh, you look at the schedule coming up, uh, Brown, Yale, two with RPI and St. Lawrence team. Yeah, St. Lawrence team that is right now in eighth place. Yeah, uh, you know, how important are these games? Because these look like winnable games, you know, especially with this tough stretch after February. Yeah,
4: uh, very important games. Very important games. If we want to be a playoff team. Uh, you know, come the end of February. But, um, and I think our team knows that. You know, it's not necessarily something that we're we're talking about on a daily basis. Um, something that. I think is present in their minds, um, something that's really important. But the nice thing is that we're we're at home here. You know, with the only exception of that Mayor's Cup game, maybe being an away game, we're at home here, and um, I think it's great for our girls to, to enjoy all those and uh, really eliminate any pressure it would they would feel being on the road. Um, just have some home cooking, be sleeping in your own bed, um, and face these these situations like that. You know, kind of a game at a time, but but at home for sure.
1: Did the Colgate game last week temper
4: some of the enthusiasm from the Cornell tie, or is
1: that the Cornell game going to be a reference
4: point to get Yeah, to, um, right? this Is the way to do it? Yeah, I, I don't think so. You know, I, I actually thought, you know, we, we made a couple, uh, I think, mental mistakes, I think, there right. in the second period against Colgate. Um, I actually love the way we played. The way we started the game against Colgate, I thought we dominated the first couple of minutes. I thought uh, we did a great job creating some momentum, and I, I liked the way we played. Um, certainly, they're a good team. They, they sustained a lot of offensive zone time, and, and I think that wore us down over the course of the game and didn't allow us to achieve a lot of the offensive uh, opportunities that we wanted, but uh, we had some great looks. We had some great looks during the game and, and things that maybe we whiffed on. We, we didn't capitalize on an entry. Uh, you know, some net front opportunities that we didn't capitalize on. But um, I don't think it took away anything from um, how we've been playing or that Cornell tie. Um, I think the kids are are extremely motivated. They know, um, you know, the the stretch that we're going into. They know that we're playing a team on Friday that that we've played well against in the past. And I think they're motivated for that opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. We'll open the Union Hockey
0: Mailbag next and then wrap up the podcast. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox.
1: Hi, this is Harborside Hal Wafer. I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott.
0: Back on the Parting Shots podcast, Mike, it's time to open up the Union Hockey Mailbag. All right, uh, Jim Calone wrote uh, on uh, the uh, Union Hockey fan page uh, after I posted uh, mm-hmm. things for questioning. He says, uh, so what's our take on the sudden production of the Union power play? Four goals in two games. Foo coming back? Did they change up the power play lines, and will it continue?
1: I give a ton of credit to Parker Foo for that, for sure. And no coincidence that um, he had a tip goal in, in on the power play in both games one on a slap shot from Vasco Colias, the other on a slap shot from Joseph Campolito. And he said, like, for a week or so, he, that's literally something he had been working on in practice now that he's been assigned that role. He's got a bigger body. He can stand in front. He can hold his position. got great hands. Um, the one on Friday night, I couldn't even really see how the angle changed from where we were standing, but it definitely did because it it, it got in there. Um, so I, I give a ton of credit to Parker Fu and, and the fact that he kind of once he was given that role he took it upon himself to to kind of work on the the standard tip drill in front and and uh, immediate tremendous results <laughs> so uh, Harvey Kagan
0: wrote uh, after Saturday's game we'll take the three-3 tie with Cornell um, the boys played a terrific game great PK and scored two power play goals Hansen was terrific in the net
1: I got nothing else that mm-hmm. pretty much sums it up uh, um and we've already talked a lot about what they can draw from that, that tie, which seemed like a victory. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was the most complete effort they put together, the goalie forward line.
0: And the night before he wrote uh, terrible loss. Refs don't influence the outcome of the game on a questionable call like that.
1: Oh well, yeah. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what we already talked about. And I a hundred percent understand why a fan would see that and, and, and be miffed. Um, But if they do, they also would have to admit the fact that unions should have never put themselves in that position in the first place.
0: Well, thanks for uh, those posts and questions. I'm always happy to take your questions and comments for the Union Hockey Mailbag. If you'd like to submit a question or comment, email them to me at shot at delygazette.com or post them on Facebook when I uh, post the uh, request for questions and comments. Look for my weekly ECAC hockey Faceoff selections at delygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. You can participate in the face-off selections by emailing your picks to me at shot at dailygazette.com. Before we wrap up the uh, podcast here, Mike, we should mention that uh, Thursday, uh, a week and two days before the game, they had the Mayor's Cup press conference. Um, we're not talking about that today. We'll talk about that next week. But to <laughs> me, it just seems just I – mean, I'm not going to go idiotic. I may be too strong. or just strange that they always have these press conferences for this game a week ahead of time, especially a day before the teams have to go, the men seem to have to go on the road and and the women have games. So it's just,
1: I mean, they got to find a way to make it. If they want to promote the game, do it the week of, not a week before. Well, they're trying to sell tickets. And if this is the way they choose to do it, Um, you know, I don't know how much it might have, you know, a a, a factor would be like the various politicians' schedules. We we noticed uh, Gary McCarthy wasn't there today. I don't know where he was, but – that might have something to do with it. Uh, Kathy Sheehan kind of has to be there; she's the mayor of Albany. So if she, they probably start there and work their way down. But again, it's just a, they're just trying to sell tickets, um, and it's probably an attitude of uh, the earlier the better. Of, you know, for our purposes, it's kind of weird. I, I didn't even speak to Rick Bennett today. I walked <laughs> up to him beforehand and I said, "Long time no see." He said it at like exactly the same time because I saw him on Wednesday. So. All right. Well,
0: that wraps up another edition of the uh, Parting Shots podcast. Mike, thanks for coming on with me. And uh, next week we will be talking about the Mayor's Cup.
1: And we will have a song reference somehow. <laughs> somehow Spontaneous. <laughs> I give you credit for that. That was not scripted at all.
0: Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, the Party Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Follow us on social media. I'm at Slapshots on Twitter and Instagram. And Mike is on Twitter at Mike underscore McGatto. Views expressed in the Party Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette Newspapers. The Party Shots podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Shot. For Mike McAdam, thanks for listening from the Party Shots studio in Connecticut, New York. Good day, good hockey.